0: Welcome to Security Mindset. I'm your host, Jay Grant. The Moreau 9-11 Center is pleased to explore security and law enforcement from many perspectives and angles. Fundamentally, 9-11 changed security worldwide, and that's where we'll start today. I could not be more pleased to introduce you to Eric Voningen. On September 11, 2001, in New York City, Eric was on the 71st floor that day and later was the last person to walk out alive at the South Tower. Eric wrote of his accounts that day in a book entitled From the Inside Out, which received the prestigious Ella Dickey Award in 2014 for its contribution to history. Eric, welcome to Security Mindset.
1: Jay, thank you for inviting me. This is a real privilege. I'd like to start off, you know, if you're old enough,
0: all of us remember where we were on 9-11. Eric, if we can, I'd kind of like to start back to you're on your way to work. You arrive at the North Tower. And let's start our day. Your book, from the time I read it originally, it always brings it back to the people because that's what's important. That's why we do what we do still today. So Eric, I'd like to bring you back to, uh, literally, you walk into uh, the World Trade Center and I think he's ordered coffee.
1: Is that correct? That's correct. It was a normal morning. I went up to uh, the coffee station that I used. I can no longer recall the name of it and ordered my normal 20 ounce cup of coffee walked through the mall, said hello to the World Trade Center chief of police and the uh, bomb-sniffing dog, which David Lim ran, and uh, went through the revolving doors, took the elevator up to the 44-floor lobby, and transferred to a local up to 71. And that was probably around 8, I'm guessing at this point, 8.15. And I went immediately to my desk on the south side of the 71st floor had a magnificent view of New York Harbor and always enjoyed spending a moment or two sipping my first coffee, looking out those windows and watching the tugboats ply back and forth and the cruise liners when they came into town. It was always a joy to see all the activity out there. And it was such a beautiful, clear day that morning that when you looked out the east windows, you could see aircraft landing and taking off at JFK in the distance So after a couple of sips, I sat down to begin my morning because this was a special day for me. I'd been a consultant with the Port Authority almost five years. And at the end of five years as a consultant, they they either hire you or let you go. So they were going to hire me at 9 a.m. on September 11th. The executive director of the Port Authority was having breakfast on Windows on the World on the 110th floor of, of the North Tower. And Doug Karpaloff, who was the life safety and security director of the World Trade Center, was coming up from his office. And at 9 a.m., Doug Karpaloff was going to be given a whole new responsibility, which I don't know the title, but I call it the security czar of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. He was going to be responsible for all facilities, which included the airports, the tunnels, the bridges, the World Trade Center the PATH station, which was the subway train that was run, and I was going to be his first employee, which was terrific for me because now I would have all the benefits of an employee, vacation, sick leave, and everything that goes along with that.
0: A lot of people have been in skyscrapers, and as many times as I was in the uh, World Trade Center, you know, you get up high, and I used to go to the windows of the world uh, quite a bit, but it wasn't so much that you were high, it was what you could see. I mean, it really is just uh, magnificent. That's what you think because it's all normal, right? So now you're meeting with uh, your individuals and now you're settling and you're on the 71st floor of the North Tower and, and things changed. What came to your mind
1: in those first few seconds of your experience? What were your thoughts? I was sitting not 18 inches from the windows on the south side because we all had those narrow windows in our offices. And... Uh, There was the most incredible explosion, and as if there was a giant boxer doing a roundhouse swing at the top of the tower, that tower bolted, twisting south, twisted, swung north, back south, and then north and settling. And in that instant, I thought I was going to be thrown through the windows and down the 800 feet or so into the plaza. Well, that didn't happen. At the same time, I kicked back from the convector in my... I was sitting in a desk chair with wheels, of course. I kicked back out of my cubicle into the main office space and just to get away from those windows. And the roar from above was, Jay, it was indescribable. A hundred freight trains going over a, a rickety train trussel does not begin to describe it. But so loud it was that... I thought for sure the tower was collapsing. So the natural reflex is to protect the body, at least mine was. So I leaned over, so I was parallel to the floor, sitting down, and put my hands up over my head just to protect the vital parts of the body. And in that same instant, I said to myself, stand up and die like a man. I stood up, and I was facing east, and then the most incredible sizzling, whooshing roaring sound coming out down outside the south windows was a fireball coming down and it exploded right outside the windows. And my first thought with all of this thing was that somehow an airliner had inexplicably driven into the top of the tower. All this took place in probably five, six seconds.
0: Well, you know, in effect, the, uh, the majestic view went away and all of a sudden, now you're trying to comprehend what happened and you're on the 71st floor. And now that's a
1: realization in itself, isn't it? Well, the view, speaking of the view, that view turned into nothing but paper and stuff. Whatever, just put your own coming down outside the windows. The entire skyline disappeared from the south side, from the east side. One memory sticks in my mind is watching a FedEx box tumbling down outside the window. And, uh, I immediately knew it was going to be a long day, and I had just finished my 20-ounce cup of coffee, so what did I do? (laughs) People don't believe this. I went to the men's room. I knew it was going to be a long day, so I went to the men's room, came back to my desk, and Whitney, one of the consultants from Arthur Anderson, was standing at her desk looking east, and she was standing there. She almost looked paralyzed, and I went up to her, and I put my hands on her shoulders and asked her how she was, and she said, I'm okay. I'm just putting my laptop away. Well, it was a year later when we had a, a reunion luncheon that I discovered that she'd seen a body falling down right outside her windows there. And that changes your mood, changed her whole attitude and what was going on. So I just told her that I would escort her down the stairs.
0: You depict in your journey, the interaction with many individuals as you move down the floor, and we'll get into some of those interactions. But collectively, after this happened, what was the mood of the people? I know it's interesting uh, from some of their accounts, like what you said, oh, it's going to be a long day. In other words, they understood maybe, or they're thinking what's going on, but they were still thinking about their job and what
1: they're doing, weren't they? Well, the security section, which I had just recently belonged to, but had left for other responsibilities at that time, I immediately thought of going back because I knew Doug Karpov needed all the help he could get. And the World Trade Center lease had just been uh, turned over to... Silverman, I believe, right? Yes, Silverman. And the Port Authority folks were no longer responsible for the building. They were training Silverman's folks. Without exception, every single one reported to their stations and did what they were trained to do because everyone loved those towers. They were extremely well-maintained and well-operated. And they all went to their place of business, and a fair number of them perished, as did the executive director. He did not make it out of Windows on the World. Correct. And as did Doug who who is in the security operations center in the basement of the South Tower. He did not make it out. What was the mood
0: at that point as you moved from that 71st floor and you started to interact with people?
1: Once I got into the stairwells, and I didn't learn this until a year later from Whitney. Whitney said that, and I remember doing it, of course, but she said, why don't we take a spin around the floor before we leave to make sure everybody's out? Everyone evacuated almost immediately. Not me. I went to the men's room. Then I came back and picked up my two-year backup from the project I'd been working on because I knew we'd need that down the line. And then we took a, a uh, walk around the one-acre floor, the perimeter, to make sure everyone was out. We got into the stairwell. Jay, it was just jam-packed with people coming down from the upper levels and uh, up from probably the 91st floor all the way down. My first impulse, and I'll get back to answer your question, my first impulse was to go up because I knew there was trouble upstairs and I wanted to help in some manner. But the flow of people was just like trying to push against the tidal waves. So Whitney and I turned around and walked down. What was interesting to me was how quiet and calm and almost peaceful everyone was. And there were thousands of people in three different stairwells, but I can only speak to mine. But it was very calm and very quiet. Now, that may have been in part because we kept running through pockets of aviation smoke and that aviation smell. Of the fuel, yes. Fuel, and it was impossible to breathe. So we did whatever we did, and we just wheeled our way through those pockets and kept on walking. And it was very quiet and calm, going all the way down until maybe half a dozen floors from the exit in, uh, in the concourse level. We'll be right back
0: after this message. Hello, this is Jay Grant. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. The Moreau 911 Center is truly working to make the world a safer place. We would like to invite authorities and government jurisdictions to take advantage of the 9-11 Center grant program that we have with the Atlas One Essential Notification Plan. It provides a trusted notification system you control to push out messaging from operational to crisis events to the individuals in your community. Notifications can be made jurisdiction wide down to a small geofenced area. Join authorities like Charlotte, North Carolina, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Austin, Texas, and more. This offer is made worldwide and it's absolutely free. So go to atlas one, that's atlas one on the internet, and review the program and scroll down to the Marone nine eleven center grant information. You can also find the information on our website at nine one one center dot org.
1: Thank you. Eric, just to remind people, the plane actually hit above you, correct? Correct. Yes, the plane hit from I think from the ninety-third to the ninety-sixth, ninety-first uh, to the ninety-sixth floor. And uh No one in the strike zone or above the strike zone in the North Tower made it out. Made it out, yes. So uh, although some people
0: uh, were able to go up and tried to get off from the roof, I believe.
1: They tried, yes. They could go up. They couldn't come down because the the stairwells and the elevators have all been severed.
0: Correct. Reading your book, the way you crafted it, I thought, was uh, quite well. Because again, it really is about the people leaving the towers. When you say you're not
1: a writer... What circumstances impelled you to write this book? That's an interesting question, because the uh, second night on September 12th, my wife and I were sitting up late again, all the lights in the house were on, and all I could talk about was the events of that morning. No doubt. And at one point, she's asking questions, I'm talking, and the thought, like it was stuck into my head, the thought was three words, write a book. That's all it was. And that was the genesis of eventually me getting together, talking with people that I thought would have stories of interest, asking their permission to write a book about their events, going out and purchasing a recorder. That took a month or two before that actually transpired from that thought. I had the thought, but I didn't act on it right away. It took a little while to pull oneself together to begin doing all that. No doubt. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting before we get into the
0: other people, though, uh, you know, your wife obviously wasn't there, but you did involve her in your story. because obviously she was
1: part of, of your life. Maybe you can explain a little bit of that. Well, the reason I wanted to include her in the story was, and originally my publisher asked me to take her out. I pushed back. And the reason why it was important to me was not because she was my wife, but those of us in the towers, our job was easy. We didn't really know what was going on. All we had to do was get down those stairs and leave. That was it. My wife and all of our loved ones that were watching television, they were watching from the outside in, if you will. They, their emotions, especially when the South Tower came down, good heavens, they had to deal with living the rest of their lives without their loved ones, husbands, wives, children, whomever. Her story, to me, is more interesting than mine getting down because all I had to do was get out. She had to contemplate the rest of her life not knowing where I was. I thought it was important to put her perspective in there. I think that obviously uh, not only did uh, millions
0: of people around the world look at it, but obviously if you had a loved one in there, when you look at the police, and it goes back to Fred Marone, obviously it was the superintendent of police that at the time was in New Jersey. They all ran to the tower. And of course, they were trying to, to run up as were the firefighters. And you have literally thousands of families. And so I thought that was an interesting aspect because exactly that. I mean, it's all about the people.
1: It is. Yeah. Life is about the people.
0: So let's talk about, obviously, you had a lot of personal friends and, and colleagues that uh, perished that day and that were affected uh, differently. Uh, not only people inside the towers, but obviously people outside the towers and co-workers. In your book, you provide a pretty graphic description of the carnage in, in the plaza, people falling from the building. You know, we saw some of this on television. But before we get into some personal experiences, what were you seeing? How did you feel? Obviously, at some point, you were before you got into it, you're, as you were describing, you were inside the uh, staircase.
1: Yes. Well, it took almost an hour to get down to the plaza level. We finally got down and exited. The security folks formed a, a double human wall that we had to walk through, and they were directing us down to the, the escalator to the lower lobby and then out onto West Street or through the mall. Well, I got down and I broke through the line of security. I wanted to see what was going on. So I walked over to the north windows, and, which faced the uh, building number six. My toes were on the glass, my nose was two inches from the windows, and uh, I just looked out. An hour of climbing down, uh, 72 is 144. Is that right? 144 flights of stairs. It's almost 1,500 stairs. I was no longer 39 years old. I was 57 at the time, and uh, I was exhausted. I was totally exhausted. So I walked up to the, the window and just looked out, and that's when I saw began to realize the carnage. There were bodies strewn around the base of the tower, and there was debris and, of course, paper and just cardboard, everything forever uh, going out into that plaza. And right at the base of my feet, not eight inches from where I was standing, was a the body of a gentleman in his suit, but he looked like a pretzel. And there were other bodies nearby, and every now and then you would hear what sounded like a shotgun discharging so I took a look, and then I wanted to see what was out the east windows. I walked over and looked out the east window, which overlooked the main plaza and the fountain and where we had the concerts. It was just a lovely, a lovely place to be in the spring and summertime. And again, more bodies, and the carnage, and just the debris was everywhere. Metal, furniture, paper, just stuff. And as I'm standing there, not two inches from the window, a male in a full suit, falling horizontal facing the windows, and we were eye to eye. He got to my eye level, and for that instant, we had eye contact. And in the same instant, the sound of the shotgun and flu was dripping down the window right in front of me. So it was at that point that I said, Doug Karpaloff needs all the help he can get. I was no longer trying to get out of the towers. Now I was going over to the south tower to get into the basements to give him a hand. So before
0: we get into some of that, though, why don't we talk, let's start with a personal experience uh, from uh, Tad Hank, if you don't mind. It's on the back of your book, and he talks about his initial
1: experience on the 86th floor. Can you explain a little of that? Yes, thank you. Tad Hank he was a Port Authority employee. He was an engineer, and he got to work early every day so that he could drink his coffee and read the paper and pull himself together. To uh, And that morning, About 9 a.m., he had a meeting in in one of the sub-basements of the North Tower. There were six basements underneath the World Trade Center. He's getting his stuff together, and he stands up. And because of the view, he took a nice long look. His office was on the north side of the tower. So he just gazed out, and he could see aircraft all the way up to Westchester Airport, which I think is 21 miles or 26 miles. It was such a clear day. So he just took a gaze from the Hudson River on the left, across Manhattan, to the East River on the right, and then then into Brooklyn, and then back again. And he turned to leave his office. And as he turned, something was wrong in his mind. So he stopped, and he turned back to the windows, and he's looking out over all of Manhattan. He's looking, And on any given day, you can see helicopters and aircraft flying to and fro over the city, landing into LaGuardia Airport, So he's looking left, then right, and then it strikes him. He looks down, and he sees a large commercial aircraft flying over Fifth Avenue, just missing the Empire State Building, flying towards the North Tower, aimed directly at his office. Well, he lived to tell the tale, because at the last moment, he knew he had not even one breath left in his life. He was just mesmerized by this aircraft coming directly toward him. He could see what he thought were the pilots, and he could see the passengers in the windows looking out. And of course, he could see that it was an American Airlines aircraft. At the last instant, the aircraft banked slightly left and rose a little bit. So it missed him on 86 and went through the 91st floors, a little east of his office.
0: One can't even imagine. You know, I think that brings us to uh, we've seen so many movies and books talk about that horrific day. What really struck me in reading the book really is how different it is in the way you structured it. And
1: how did you make that decision? I've read, of course, I've heard hundreds of personal accounts. That's all we could talk about for six months. And then as the books began coming out, and of course, the magazines and the newspapers were recounting stories. Everyone's story was a paragraph or two pages or three pages. And uh, I wanted to treat the book a little differently. I made the decision to tell the individual stories along a timeline. What was Jay Grant doing when his alarm clock went off to go to work that morning? What was Billy's doing? What was he doing? What was I doing? In my interview questions, I always made sure to ask him if they could give me a time frame about what time do you think it was so that I could follow the timeline, which, of course, built up to the, the first impact then the second impact, and then, of course, the collapse, and then what happened afterwards. And I tried to write it as dispassionately as I could to allow the reader to put their own emotions into what they were reading. That's what I tried to do, and I think it turned out fairly well. I think it turned out great. And
0: of course, it's interesting, again, as you say, you're not a writer, but often you have writers who are not part of the story. They're writing about a story. I found it really interesting that uh, you understood their pain. You understood their emotion because of what you were going through. Don't mean to uh, be insensitive, but uh, at any
1: point, did you think you were going to die? Seven occasions. The first of which was when the plane hit the tower and I thought I was going through the windows. The second was when the fireball exploded. I was only 15 feet away, but it did no damage to the interior. And uh, the third was going through those smoke areas. Whoa, that was not pleasant at all, trying to breathe through. You can't breathe in aviation gas. It's all smoke. And then, of course, there were a couple others when I got caught in the cloud. That was the one that I thought was going to do me in. Yes. To answer your question simply, the answer is yes, I did. You move forward, obviously. You actually, you said this earlier, but you decided to stay in, not go out. So what did you do? My uh, direction now... Was to get into the basement where the Security Operations Center was in the South Tower to help Doug Karpaloff. He needed help because we spent many, many, many hours discussing what the next attack would be and how do we prevent it, how do we guard against it, how do we react to it when it happens, and what will it be. Well, of course, none of those scenarios happened. Who would have thought that someone would steal a commercial airliner and commit suicide by flying it into a, a tall building? So that was a whole new experience. So my goal was to get into the South Tower. I broke out of the line. When I got into the mall, there was water up to our ankles. The water was coming down from all of the, I guess, the sprinkler systems and from the fountain in in the plaza. And I broke through security again to walk south to the second tower because I knew where the stairwell was going down into the basements, right behind Ben and Jerry's. So I got to Ben and Jerry's, and uh, there were cops, policemen, and firemen all around the stairwell. Oh, they gave me a hard time. I'd forgotten that I had a blue pinstripe suit on. I was carrying a little fabric briefcase. But I'd really forgotten that I'd rolled my trousers up to above my knees because at one point coming down the stairs, the water was cascading down them to such an extent I didn't want to ruin my trousers. You weren't looking official, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was certainly looking out of place, trying to get in deeper into the towers. But I wouldn't take no for an answer. So they finally said, you can get down into the tower, but you've got to wait. We're bringing equipment up, this, up the stairwells. So I said, okay. And suddenly, after I waited maybe a minute, I just started getting so antsy. My body, I just started like dancing in place. I had to move. I had to get going. So I went directly into the lobby of the South Tower because I knew another way down. South Tower was totally empty and dark. And the signage was broken. Some of the elevator doors were busted out, just like in the North Tower. What a mess. It looked like New York City had been vacant for 20 years. So I checked the three primary locations in the lobby to see if anyone was in the fire command center or the visitor's desks. It was totally empty. While I was walking through that South Tower lobby, all I could hear was a low-throated, groaning, grinding, somewhere from within the bowels of the tower. It didn't really register at the time, but that was the beginning of the tower beginning to collapse. I walked back into the mall, over to the escalator, exited onto Church Street, and there were thousands and thousands of people on Church Street gawking, looking at these towers. And my first thought was, well, I'm going to go into the plaza now to help, because I saw a lot of injured in the plaza. So just as I got to where I was going to do, uh, turn right to go west into the plaza with all those thousands of people. I was at the juncture of Fulton Street, which tees into Church Street there. A little voice in my head said, walk east. And there was no question but to follow those directions. My right foot came down. I did a military left flank. I walked a dozen paces, and the earthquake started. I thought Church Street was collapsing into the subway system. And I turned and looked and watched the South Tower collapse. My first thought was, it's going to fall right into and on to all of us. And that's the end of it. But then I thought, well, if it does, it does. There's no place to run from a quarter mile high building falling down on you. This is the end of part one of the interview with Eric Roningen. Please proceed
0: to part two.
1: The Security Mindset Podcast is a production of the Marone 9-11 Center. Your host is Jay Grant. Production manager is Billy Durrett. Production coordinator is Lance Lindsay. This podcast session is sponsored by Atlas One. The Marone 911 Center is a nonprofit 5013 c organization. Contributions and sponsorships are greatly appreciated, as is identifying the Marone 911 Center as your charity of choice on the Amazon Smile program. For additional information and more podcast productions as they become available, visit us at 911center.org slash podcast. This is Billy Durrett. We thank you for listening and your gracious support.